Coming up this week, Extreme E holds the first ever race above the Arctic Circle. Data shows that Chevy Bolt owners are ignoring the recall safety recommendations from GM. And the Mazda MX-30 gets its EPA rating, and it's not good. All that and more, stick around. It's an episode you don't want to miss. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 77 of the EV Resource Podcast. I'm Zach Hurst, and each week I bring you the latest EV news, information, and answers to your questions about electric vehicles. Before we get started with the news this week, I want to thank our podcast partner, Titan Auto and Tire in Mosley, Virginia, for their support. Titan is one of the very few independent shops in Central Virginia that are qualified to work on EVs, and from hybrids to Hummers, they fix everything. For more information and to schedule an appointment for your vehicle, go to TitanAutoTire.com. That's TitanAutoTire.com. First up, we'll talk about the Chevy Bolt battery recall again, but this time from a different angle, not from the manufacturer, but talking about the owners of the Chevy Bolt vehicles. Data from Recurrent reveals that 30% of owners of recalled Chevy Bolts are not following GM's recall guidelines for vehicle charging. Recurrent, the car industry's only analyst of electric vehicle battery health, this week released new data analyzing the actions of more than 1,000 Chevy Bolt owners, all of whom own vehicles that are included in the recall by GM due to concerns about potential battery fires. Recurrent's new data shows that up to 30% of its customers who own a Chevy Bolt are not following GM's guidelines to not charge their vehicles above 90% and to not deplete their battery below 70 miles of remaining range. CEO of Recurrent, Scott Chase, says, quote, Newer Chevy Bolt owners need to pay attention to this recall now. 100,000 batteries can't get replaced overnight given supply chain woes and high demand for new EVs, so this will take some time. End quote. And for those of you who don't know, Recurrent provides personalized battery analysis for EV owners, buying guides and research for people shopping for used EVs, and electric battery reports for dealerships. Recurrent is currently the only company outside of GM with this breadth of data and depth of insight into how Chevy Bolt owners are responding to the recall, and they have been monitoring their behavior since GM issued its first recall in November. Now, the battery module's replacement recall has been expanded to include all Chevy Bolts, and so this is a very, very serious issue. Scott Chase continued by saying, quote, Our data is showing that a lot of Chevy Bolt owners are going to have to change their behavior. For some, this could be a hardship if they have long commutes and require more range than the new guidelines allow, especially during the summer when hot temperatures and extra AC usage affect battery performance, end quote. This is definitely something that's very unique where no other company is going to have the ability to recognize this type of trend as a response to the recall from GM. And I think it highlights that human nature is something that's hard to crack. And ultimately, it really puts the entire industry's reputation at risk if there would be more battery fires because owners of Bolts are not following the guidelines. At this time, Recurrent is urging all Chevy Bolt owners to follow GM's charging advice to reduce the risk of battery failures. Next, we'll move on to the Mazda MX-30. From the company that revolutionized the internal combustion world with the rotary engine, which arguably became a significant part of the brand's DNA and reputation, 
Well, now they've given the world their first electric car. And it's clear that they don't care about their reputation and electric vehicles are not in their DNA. What they've done here with the MX-30 is created a compliance car to compete with the best EVs from 10 years ago. Oh, and in true compliance car fashion, it's only available in California. Now, let's compare the first generation Nissan Leaf, okay? The 2010 Nissan Leaf, 11-year-old car. The 2013 Fiat 500e and the new Mazda MX-30. Now, the first two there, obviously very much compliance cars. They were created just to satisfy the emissions standards that California and other carb states were putting out. I'm gonna give you the specifications of each car, but here's the catch. I'm not gonna tell you which is which. You're gonna have to guess which one the MX-30 is. And hey, you know what? I'm gonna throw my own car into the mix just for fun, the 2016 Chevy Spark EV. So three compliance cars and the MX-30. Here's the specs. Let's see if you can figure out which one is brand new. Okay, so car number one, 73 mile EPA range from a 24 kilowatt hour battery pack, zero to 60 in 9.9 seconds and a top speed of 93 miles an hour. It is front wheel drive powered by an 80 kilowatt electric motor. DC fast charging is a blistering 50 kilowatts and the MSRP for this car is $32,780. Car number two, a 100-mile EPA range from a 35.5-kilowatt-hour battery pack, 0 to 60 in 9 seconds, and a top speed of 87 miles an hour. Front-wheel drive powered by a 107-kilowatt electric motor, also 50-kilowatt DC fast charging speed, and the MSRP for this car is $33,470. Car number three, an 87-mile EPA range from a 24-kilowatt-hour battery pack, 0 to 60 in 8.4 seconds, and a top speed of 85 miles an hour. Front-wheel drive, powered by an 83-kilowatt electric motor, DC fast charging is not available. The MSRP for this car is $31,800. Car number four, an 82-mile EPA range from a 21-kilowatt-hour battery pack, 0 to 60 in 7.3 seconds, a top speed of 90 miles an hour, front-wheel drive powered by a 105-kilowatt motor, an optional 50-kilowatt DC fast charging, and the MSRP for this is $27,490. Now, all of those numbers are when these vehicles were new, and I phrased it that way so that it would all compare to the brand new MX-30. Okay, so you've probably already guessed which car it was, right? Right. And if it were competing with the rest of these cars from five to ten years ago, then it would be quite a compelling option. It fits in very nicely with these other cars. But all of these older cars are available for less than half the cost now as used options. Let's take my car, for example. The 2016 Chevy Spark EV can be had for about $11,000 just about anywhere across the country. And for that price, you could buy a Spark EV for around town. And then with the difference you save by not buying the MX-30, you could actually buy a brand new Mazda CX-30 gas-burning SUV to have this space uh, and similar size of the MX-30. So you could have two cars 
for the price of one, have all of the electric driving you could possibly want, and then for longer road trips, you'd have your gas-burning SUV. Now, for you EV purists out there, that might sound like heresy, but even Mazda are encouraging the buyers of the MX-30 to use gas-powered vehicles for longer trips. Take a look at this. They're, as they call it, MX-30 Elite Access Loaner Program. And it says, quote, As an MX-30 owner, you'll have the opportunity to experience the full family of Mazda vehicles with our MX-30 Elite Access Loaner Program. MX-30 owners can select a courtesy non-EV car up to 10 days a year for the first three years of ownership for a longer range trip or personal needs. End quote. So my take on this, it is clear that Mazda is either incompetent, incapable, or ingenuous about building EVs. And I'm of the opinion that they are all three. Japanese automakers have dropped the ball when it comes to building EVs. Toyota, they don't make an EV or full EV for the U.S. yet. Honda, they don't make a full EV for the U.S. yet. Subaru, nope. Not them either. And Nissan, well, yes, the Leaf, and very soon the Aria. So I'll let that one slide. But seriously, I guess my real only question is, who in their right mind would buy the MX-30? And what the f*** was Mazda thinking when they decided that this was going to be a good EV for 2021? Okay, I think that gets all the negative stuff out of the way for the week. And if you've made it through, thanks for sticking with me. I normally like to stay positive, but... Man, that car. Anyway, on to the official debut of the Alpha Wolf. American startup Alpha Motors Corporation, AMC, recently debuted its Wolf electric pickup truck at the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles, California. When renderings of the Wolf started circling earlier this year, it immediately captured the hearts and minds of adventure junkies for its old school styling, zero emissions powertrain, and attractive pricing. The Alpha Wolf is a two-passenger electric utility truck available in standard rear-wheel drive with a single electric motor or dual-motor all-wheel drive powertrain. It has a 75-kilowatt-hour battery pack that provides up to 270 miles of driving range on a single charge. Alpha Wolf is not a drag racer, but it can scoot from 0 to 60 in 6.2 seconds, which is pretty impressive for a rugged utility truck. If Alpha plays its cards right, the Wolf could be a massive hit despite the lingering appeal of Rivian's R1T and the new F-150 Lightning from Ford. But unlike Ford and Rivian, the Alpha Wolf could have base prices starting at about $36,000 before tax credits, making it more appealing to the budget-oriented crowd. And considering that the Rivian starts at $70,000 and the Ford at forty dollars for the Pro, the commercial version of the F-150 Lightning, AMC is carving a nice niche in the EV community with its Wolf truck. If you're local to Los Angeles, I would suggest going over to the Peterson to check out this truck in person. And if not, you can search online for the photos. It is a good looking truck and it should be very compelling for its class. Tesla fans might remember a few years back when the company announced submarine mode for the Model S. This was a hidden option that allowed you to change the Model S display into James Bond's Lotus Esprit submersible. When you held your finger on the Tesla logo at the top of the 17-inch screen, a technician login menu appeared. Then you would enter the code 007 obviously, and the suspension setting page then transformed into the Lotus Esprit submarine. 
Then you set your depth in leagues under the sea, although the company encouraged owners to remember that they shouldn't actually drive the Tesla Model S into any body of water. But that could soon be changing. Chet from the Chillin' with Chet YouTube channel recently bought a new Model S Plaid and has some interesting plans for it. He took the car to Gruber Motors, which they are the Tesla specialized repair and rehabilitation shop, and he asked them to turn his car into a submarine. Yes, you heard that right. He intends to drive his Model S Plaid completely underwater. So what Gruber are doing, they are waterproofing all of the external connectors, intake ports, any other possible areas of water ingress to prepare the Model S Plaid for a 90-foot long drive under 7 foot of fresh water with fish, 2,000 pounds of lead for ballast, and a driver equipped with scuba gear in the cabin just in case. Details and a conversation between Chet and Pete Gruber can be found on the Gruber Motors YouTube channel, and I encourage you all to take a look. Now to the part of the podcast that I am most excited to bring you, a recap of Extreme Ease Arctic X-Prix, the first North of the Arctic Circle event for the series. The global adventure continued in Greenland this weekend, racing in the dry riverbed of the receded Russell Glacier over wet sand, gravel, and rocks. And it was a weekend packed with drama, excitement, wheel-to-wheel racing, passing on parts of the course that were deemed unpassable, and left those of us watching on the edge of our seats. Drivers left it all out on track with some moves that could be called bold or even crazy, and without a doubt, this was the most exciting race weekend of the entire season. X44 pairing Cristina Gutierrez and Sebastian Loeb struck first with the fastest time in Q1 amid a session full of drama. The X44 duo stopped the clock with a time of 5 minutes 46 seconds after their two laps, which did include the compulsory driver change, but were just 3.712 seconds ahead of the apt Cupra XE entry at the finish, driven by Matthias Ekstrom and Jutta Kleinschmidt. But while the session winners had an unscathed run, there was drama for much of the field, including for championship leaders Rosberg X Racing. Running in fifth in the session, Johan Christofferson was about 10 seconds in the lead on the squad's first lap, but he ran into trouble three times having to reset the car and losing almost a minute of time. And very aggressive, the anger from Christofferson. <laughs> Taking over the controls for the second lap, Australian Molly Taylor incredibly rolled the Odyssey 21 vehicle, but amazingly carried on like nothing happened to make it to the finish, albeit well off the lead in eighth place. Oh, Molly Taylor's rolled! She's rolled the car! She's coming again! Go on, Molly! My word, that was a big roll, a big impact, total 360, but I tell you what, she's acted as if nothing happened, as if she just maybe had a clip of a bush, and then she gets going again. You can see there's sand in the car. Let's have another look at this, then. We're going to take a look at the roll for Molly. This is on board. Big bump. Lands the car, and she knows now that she'll be going over, because the car lands sideways. Over she goes. Sand comes in, lands on his wheel. She's like, no worries. Let's get cracking. The only team to fare worse than RXR was the JBXE squad. A stoppage in the second sector on the first lap was followed by a broken steering arm over the rocky section of the course called the Rock Garden, meaning that the Jensen Button-owned team was forced to retire during the session. Fighting back from a difficult opening two rounds of the year, both of the Segi TV Chip Ganassi racing drivers, Sarah Price and Kyle LaDuke, 
delivered strong performances and initially bettered the time of the X44 team, but dropped to third when a 10-second penalty for downing a waypoint flag was applied by the stewards. Price had been almost five seconds ahead entering the switch zone after her lap, while LaDuke survived a big moment on the second lap and just avoided rolling the team's vehicle in the same place where Molly Taylor rolled. And as far as speed goes, while Sebastian Loeb did top all but one of the sectors in the session, it was Andretti United's Timmy Hansen that claimed the Extreme E Super Sector. The championship leader's RXR struck back, however, after a difficult Q1 with the fastest time in Q2, despite rain at the end of the session. The RXR team worked hard between sessions to repair their Odyssey 21 vehicle after it was rolled, and the Swedish-Australian driver pairing repaid the mechanic's efforts with a best time of 14 minutes and 26 seconds. The effort for the pair of drivers lifted the team to third in qualifying overall. Fastest in Q1, the X44 drivers continued their impressive qualifying form with the second best time in Q2 and held on to the top qualifier position. Also fighting back from issues in Q1, Andretti United finished third in Q2 ahead of a repaired JBXE entry. One of the more dramatic moments came when apt Cupra XE driver Matthias Ekstrom suffered two rear punctures, and despite the efforts of the Swede himself and a team mechanic, while Judah Kleinschmidt climbed into the driver's seat, only one of the wheels could be changed in the switch zone, and the team was forced to retire in Q2. Let's have a replay of exactly what happened. So this is going through the rock garden. We've seen a few different cars uh, injured through this section, and you can see at that rear moment... Already flat. Yeah. The rear left was already flat, and the rear right was done on the big rock, which we saw Michaela Arlen kotlinski hit. He missed it with the front right, but the rear right got it. So double puncture. Poor fortune again befell the Seggy TV Chip Ganassi racing team. Kyle LeDuc forced to retire from the first lap of Q2 with broken left suspension. Okay, so you got all of that. That was just the qualifying sessions. The excitement of the weekend intensified for the semifinals and crazy race. Semifinal one saw teams X44 and Veloce Racing and Axiona Sites Racing battling each other with the top two finishers continuing on to the final race. At the green light, the X44 and Veloce cars shot out in front, but it was Veloce that would have the lead into the first corner. Gutierrez in the X44 dropped back as Carlos Sainz overtook for second place and by the end of the lap would take the lead. After the driver switch, Laia Sainz had an eight-second lead over Stefan Sarazan and Sebastian Loeb in the rear for now. That changed when Sebastian Loeb did something that was thought to be impossible. There is no space between Loeb and uh, the car in front, the Veloce team. Oh, look, it's looking for a way round on the inside. Can he do it? No, not quite. That is brave from Loeb. But what else would he's, you expect? Looking for another, another way look. round. He's having another look. Going to get into the rear quarter. Going to go up the inside of Sarazan. Cuts up over. Goes through the side of the lake. Loeb makes a pass where we said you couldn't pass. Well, that's out the window, isn't it? Nine-time World Rally Champion says, yeah, you can. No worries. And maintaining that strenuous pace, it wasn't long before Loeb caught Leia Sands and using hyperdrive passed for the lead. But the drama wasn't over. Just before the Rock Garden, Stefan Sarazan made a bold move to undercut the other cars and overtake both of them through the Rock Garden. Unfortunately, the move was too risky and the car suffered suspension failure just a short distance from the finish line. X44 won the semifinal one with Axiona Sites in second place. 
X44 leading, coming up to the Rock Garden. Oh, look, Stefan Sarazani's right there. Leia Sands needs to be super defensive now. Loeb, how quickly is he going to go across? He's got to take a risk on it. The cars are too close to be going slowly through here. Sarazani goes for an alternate line, launches the blockchain machine. It's a brilliant move by Stefan Sarazani to take the lead. Sebastian Loeb drops down to P2. Unbelievable. Leia Sands up and over the crest, side by side now. Loeb is going to, oh, he's broken the suspension. He drops back. Sebastian Loeb going to take the win for X44. Second place, Leia Sands for Acciona Science, but incredible by Stefan Sarazan. I know the car's broken, but the dream nearly came true. He took the lead with that alternate line. What a semi-final. Semi-final two saw Apt Cupra, RXR, and Andretti United facing off. Once again, the top two finishers moving on to the final. Johan Christofferson led most of the first lap, but cliffed a marker flag that resulted in a 10-second penalty that would have to be served during the driver change. The rest of Q2 was clean and fairly calm, with Katie Munnings bringing home the Andretti United car to win the race ahead of Molly Taylor in RXR and Matthias Ekstrom at the back with Apt Cupra, meaning they would would not make the final race. The other three teams, Segi Chip Ganassi Racing, JBXE, and Excite Energy found themselves in the crazy race, which is effectively the third semifinal, battling for the single finishing spot that would carry on to the final race. JBXE were leading, but incurred a 30-second penalty for excess tire use, and I still don't know what that means, and more bad luck for the Chip Ganassi team as front as the front steering broke and they couldn't continue on. Just failure after failure for them, and you can't help but feel for the team. At the driver's switch, it was Oliver Bennett that took over the lead while Kevin Hansen waited to finish the penalty before exiting the switch area at a 22-second disadvantage. But that didn't stop the rally driver from charging full speed ahead, grabbing seconds of time away from the leader in every section of the track, and ultimately a mistake by Oliver Bennett where he charged too hard over a crest and banged the nose of the Odyssey 21 car caused a failure, which gave the lead and the ultimate win to Team JBXE, meaning that they would advance to the final race. And the final, oh, the final. This was by far the best racing action that Extreme E has had to date. The change to five cars starting proved to be one of the best decisions that they could have made. Wheel-to-wheel racing with a number of leader changes in the first section eventually saw X44 with Sebastian Loeb take the lead into the narrow section of the course where you're not supposed to be able to pass. He was then followed by RXR, Andretti United, JBXE, and Axiona Sites well off in the rear. As the teams entered the driver's switch, it became apparent that X44 had a rear puncture and needed a complete tire change, which cost them valuable time. This allowed for Timmy Hansen with Andretti United to take the lead, with RXR and JBXE right on his tail for the first half of the second lap. As the cars made their way onto the wider section of track, Johan Christofferson was battling hard with Hansen and took a massive jump, leaping an entire car height above the Andretti car in a move that, while spectacular, proved to be too much for the car, and ultimately it lost power and needed to be restarted. Yes, they are still side by side. So one of them takes the higher line, one of them the lower line, and you can see Timmy Hansen took that lower oh, line, but the air they got there. Incredible. This is a real duke it out fight, and they are no holds barred. Oh, but oh, damage. No. Damage for the Rosberg car. This 
this is the moment. This is the battle for the Arctic X-Pre. This is a battle and a challenge for the championship. Munnings has done a great job to set up what is a fantastic win for Timmy Hansen. He looks to come across the line. They have smashed it out of the park. Congratulations to them. Andretti United win a fist pump for Timmy Hansen. They claim 25 points. They are delighted. Well done. Absolutely brilliant. Timmy Hansen would bring home the win for Andretti United, the first win for a team other than RXR this season, and the JBXE team would take the second place with Axiona Sites rounding out the podium. Andretti United on the top step for the first time, Timmy Hansen and Katie Munnings. So the championship standings at the end of the race show RXR still in the lead with 93 points, X44 nipping at their heels with 84, Andretti United in third now with 76 points, JBXE with 68 points, Axiona Sites with 61, Apt Cupra with 54 points, Veloce Racing 49, Excite Energy 47 points, and rounding up the rear, Segi TV Chip Ganassi Racing with 40 points. What an exciting weekend. Absolutely incredible racing. And unfortunately, we have to wait yes, yet again for the next race. And that is taking place in October on the 23rd and 24th, taking place on the island of Sardinia in Italy. So that's your show for this week. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Please share this with your friends and anybody you think that would be interested in electric vehicles. A big shout out as always to our Patreon executive producers, Rajiv Narayan and Greg Fuller. James Hart supports us at the producer level. And if you would like to support my efforts, if you feel like I've earned your support uh, with the EV Resource Podcast, magazine, and basically any help to keep this going, you can check it all out at patreon.com slash evresource. I invite your feedback via email to hello at ev-resource.com. You can always leave a comment on the YouTube video and don't forget to subscribe. That way you'll get all the future shows delivered to you automatically. You'll get notified about it. You don't have to go searching for it week after week. If you want to listen to any of the previous podcast episodes, you can find them on our webpage, which is ev-resource.com, under the podcast section and on many of the major podcast platforms, including just this week, Amazon Music and Audible. So thanks for being with me, and I'll catch you next week.